So we're in Matthew chapter number 16, verse number 13. Matthew 16, 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? They say, and they said, Some say thou, thou art John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. I do a lot of dumb things. I will not try to list them today. We don't have time for that long of a message here. But I do a lot of dumb things. But one of the dumb things that I do happens when I work. When I work on something, whether that's in my home or at my desk here at the church or in my garage at home or on a project here on the property, typically I throw my whole self into it. I get consumed with the project. Well, if you've ever been on any kind of project, you every project requires stuff. It either requires documents and files and folders and staplers and that kind of stuff, or it requires tools and that kind of stuff. And so, as you progress through a project, so do the things that requi are required in the project. And so, as the project progresses, so does the stuff. What I would better say is, as the project progresses, so does the mess. And so I find myself, after a short time working on a project, the extension cord is wrapped around the air hose, which is laying underneath the, the pile of material that's supposed to be over there, that's wrapped in the box of the tool that I needed, that's ca caught in the tote of doodads that I just dumped the sawdust in. How many understand what I'm talking about here? Okay. And so you spend all of your time trying to, and emotionally this really wears on me. You've got such a mess. Now, I have not been able to break myself entirely of this habit, but as I've gotten older I found a workable solution. I take my phone and I set a timer for a half an hour. And when the timer goes off, I spend two or three minutes putting things back where they're supposed to go cleaning up the mess a little bit, organizing my place so that I'm working again. Now, you do not lose time by doing this. It seems like you do, if you know what I'm talking about, if you've been in a project, it seems like you're losing time. But, if you have ever looked for 10 minutes for one of your tools that ends up being buried someplace, that's not really time well spent. And so in the two minute time that you take to clean up the mess, you don't spend it looking for your tools or trying to pull the cord that's 100 feet long that you can only actually get about 12 feet out of, okay? And so when you take the time to clear that up, you're actually the project goes better. Now, I find that this kind of thing actually happens also in my mental work. You're working on a problem or a question in my mind, and I got all these facts and figures and thoughts and possibilities and all that, and it gets all jumbled up. And pretty soon, coming to the answer is impossible. Our forefathers had an old saying for this. You know I like old sayings. 
He can't see the forest for the trees, meaning he can't see the forest because all the trees are in the way, okay? This is mentally, you get this way. And I find that I do the same thing in order to solve my construction problem mess. I do the same thing mentally. I take out a piece of paper and I start writing down and putting in categories the things that I know and pretty soon, wow, okay, that's not that difficult after all. It's all right there. I find, though, that actually, spiritually, we do the same thing. Do you realize how you have learned everything that you have learned? All of your spiritual knowledge. You hear a message here, and you hear a message there, and you do your bio, own Bible reading, and then a song, and then a book that you read, and then you come to church, and you're in Sunday school, and then you're in the messages, and, and it kind of piece by piece by piece by piece by piece, and pretty soon you have all of this knowledge that is actually all really almost confusing. And trying to make hide and hair of it, trying to get it all organized becomes a difficulty and our life gets a little bit confusing and the way we're supposed to go. Now, we sometimes lose the fact because of all of the way that we've gotten our spiritual information, we lose sight of the fact of what we're supposed to be doing, what we're doing, and why we're even doing it. Now this morning I want to look at one phrase in this verse and another phrase in a different passage. And in the doing so, find if we can't see if we can't find our proper perspective. If we could get our proper perspective, it will clear up many of the things, the difficulties and frustrations and situations in our life that we face. If we can get ourselves back to, we can get our desk cleaned off if you were get everything reorganized so that we know what we're doing and why we're doing it, it may make many things in life come clear. We'll use the phrase for the title of the message, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would bless us. We know that we cannot get there from here unless you take us. We expect to get there, Father, not under our own power, not under our own ability, not because of our own mental awareness, but because your spirit was given to teach your word, we ask that he would take us where we need to go. Lord, I ask that no one would be left behind today. No one would be allowed to just let truth pass, that your spirit would speak as necessary in each heart and each life to each need here. Lord, we cannot meet these needs, but you can, and we ask you to do so, knowing that we can because Jesus Christ already purchased everything that we need. So we ask for what he's purchased to be given to us today, and we ask this in his precious, holy name. Amen. Human beings are typically very long-winded when trying to convey ideas. They use a lot of time to say very little, most typically. Sometimes they do surprise us, though, and they say something very shortly that really has a lot of impact. At Gettysburg, Abraham Lincoln uh, was invited actually as an afterthought. He wasn't the main speaker at Gettysburg. The main speaker went on for, I don't know, half an hour, 40 minutes, 
and nobody knows what he actually said. Lincoln got up there as an afterthought and only spoke for a few minutes. In fact, he spoke so shortly, everybody expected him to speak quite a while. He was president. They expected him to speak quite a while that the photographer was messing around setting up his camera, uh, thinking that he had plenty of time to take the picture. And before he got the camera set up, Lincoln was already done. He had given the Gettysburg Address. And almost every kid, when we were kids, almost everybody up to my childhood and, and beyond some, memorized the Gettysburg Address. They were such powerful, well-spoken words. Booker T. Washington, who lived about that same time, was invited to speak at a conference, a national convention. He was going to be a thousand miles away. I, I, I marvel at this. In fact, I got part of his saying on my desk, because I use this as my thinking. He was going to be a thousand miles away, but he got asked to speak at this conference, and he was going to be given five minutes to speak at a national conference, but he's a thousand miles away. Now, at that time, it would have been by rail or by horse. Can you imagine traveling a thousand miles by rail or by horse, which would be 2,000 miles because he had to go there and back, and he only gets to speak for five minutes. Imagine how much he would prepare to speak if you only had five minutes. He was so prepared that what he said at that convention literally shook, that rocked the country in that five minutes. So every now and then somebody surprises us and says something, wow, that was really good in a very short amount of words. But I don't believe any human being ever said anything more succinct than what Peter says in the verses that we read. Peter says a few short words. He says, when Christ asks, who do people say that? Who do you believe that I am? Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, this is so well spoken. And in fact, the Lord says, you didn't say that on your own. You didn't come up with that by yourself. God the Father told you that, or you would have never come up with such succinct words. In these words, we actually find the foundation for everything that we believe and everything that we do. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. So let's break it down into three distinct things. Remember, we're clearing our, our brain here. We're reorganizing down to the why are we doing what we're doing? What are we actually after here? All the mess, we're going to set it all aside and come up, what do we actually boil this thing down to? What do we believe? Number one, there is a God and he's eternal. There is a God and he's eternal. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, you know the Bible never tries to approve the existence of God. It simply just states the fact, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, in our world, men try to prove or debate or disprove the existence of God. And you have to remember, when you listen to these debates, the people who are trying to disprove the existence of God have ulterior motives. It's always good to know people's motives and why, when they're in a debate. What are they really trying to do here? They are biased. Because if there is a God, then he is in control and we are all responsible to him. If there's no God, 
then you can do whatever you please. We've evolved from nothing into something, and we are at the top of the food chain, so we are good to go. We are the top dogs. So when people are debating this, is there a God or not, you have to realize there is a bias here because man doesn't want to be subservient. He does not want to be under the authority. He wants to be his own master. So they have a reason to try to prove, disprove, quote-unquote, the existence of God. But you have to realize that takes quite a bit of doing. Because in all reality, the existence of God is extremely obvious. A person would have to be almost, they'd have to be totally blind to take one look at this amazing planet that we live on and deny the existence of God. How can you look at the beauty of everything? How can you think of the complexity of the human eyeball? Have you ever tried, you guys probably don't think on these things, but when you deal in robotics, you try to think through, how would I make something like that? Have you ever tried to think of the complexity of the human eye? The complexity of the human brain. You say, well, I'm not very smart. Do you realize that even you're not that smart brain is an amazing piece of equipment? Look at how everything is so perfectly balanced, how it all works together. And you say, wow, there has got to be someone who designed this. This thing could not have just happened from some explosion sometime, some accident. It just could not be. In order to say that, you have to be almost completely blind to come up with that fact. Because as you look around at the way that this planet has put together, it could not be some kind of an accident. How could this planet keep going if someone wasn't sustaining it? A couple of days ago, a couple of days ago, my tongue's been tripping itself today. A couple of days ago, the check, no, the change oil thing came on on my car. So I changed the oil. But what if I would have said, forget you, it has the oil they put in from the factory, it's been running all this time, and it's good to go. What would I have? In a very short time, no car. Why? Because stuff requires maintenance. In our world, do things go your house? Does it go from unclean to clean on its own? Have you ever noticed how fast a house can get unclean? <laughs> it goes from perfect organization to disaster. Just with your kid walking through it. <laughs> they, I don't understand how they do that. This is the way our world works. Everything goes from organization to disorganization, from running perfectly to running terribly. It falls apart. Now how if this was all just some kind of an accident, is this thing keep running? There's somebody has got to be running this thing, keeping everything going as it is. Someone is sustaining this. Well, that someone is God. In order to disbelieve in God, you have to ignore those two major facts, and also you have to short-circuit something within yourself. Because man has been created with the knowledge of God. He may not know who he is. He may not know anything about him. But he, in the inside of him, he knows 
I have been created. There is someone higher than me. So in order for someone to disbelieve in God, they have to ignore all of that. But the Bible doesn't try to debate it. It just states the fact there is a God. Now, ask yourself this question. Do I believe that? Not does your mom believe that, not does your Sunday school teacher believe did your Sunday school teacher believe that, not does a pastor believe that. Do you personally, you, not your wife, not your husband, you, do you personally believe that there is a God? Now, I think for the most part in this auditorium, everybody would come to this. If you said yes, let me ask you this other question. This week, how much of your life was lived in light of that fact? That there is a God. I, we get this little mess on our desk, don't we? And we're so confused about all of these things that we've got going on that the main fact that we know there is a God somehow gets lost in that shuffle. And if we would take the time mentally to push everything and put it all in a, away and come down to what are the brass tacks here, what do we actually believe? You say, you know what, there's a God. I believe that. And my life should reflect that knowledge. How much of your life this week reflected that knowledge? How much of it you were of this week was spent in light of that fact? That one truth should dominate every thought, every word, and every deed. Every decision should be made with that thought in mind. There is a God. Our very life should reflect that fact to everybody around us. Does your life, did your life this week reflect that main, one simple main thought that you believe? There is a God and he's eternal. Have you let your life get so jumbled that God is only an afterthought? Did you let your life get so busy that there isn't actually time for him? Have you focused so much on something or someone else that they have taken the throne of your existence? They're the God now because you have let your life get so messed up that you have lost this one main fact that you would actually hold to with all of your being. I believe there's a God. You probably didn't conscientiously make those decisions to let God get pushed out of the way. It just happens. We allow our lives to get all jumbled up and it obscures what we know to be true. There is a God and he is Eternal. He's a living God. The second thing that Peter says in this really succinct verse or statement is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, this truth actually clears the path in both in two different directions here. The fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. First off, the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God defines exactly who God is. 
You know, in this world, lots of people serve lots of different gods. If you go all over the world, you'll find that there are people who are worshiping all different kinds of gods. If you go down through history, you will find that people are, have all different kinds of gods that they have worshipped and all of these things. Idols and all of these things, okay? But Peter's one statement here defines exactly who God is. God is the one who has a son named Jesus Christ. If the God that you are worshiping is not the God who has a son, his only begotten son's name is Jesus Christ, then you are not worshiping God. I know that that's not popular in our world to state things that bluntly, but that's what the Bible says. That's the truth of the matter. There is only one God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that's the Trinity. The God that we worship has a son, the only begotten son, whose name is Jesus Christ. Peter says that. That's who we're worshiping here. The father has a son named Jesus Christ. If you're not worshiping that God, then you are worshiping a false God. That's pretty simple. But this verse also clears the, the area in a different direction. Not only did it define who God the father is, it also defines who Jesus Christ is. He's not just a good man. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a good teacher or a good example. He is God of very gods. He is God the Son. A few, a few weeks ago, I think it was on a Sunday night, we discussed the topic, what do you think of Christ? What do you think of his attitudes, his humility, his reactions? What do you think of his forgiveness? What do you think of his words? Quite often our thoughts are on Christ. I'm sure glad he did that, but that's not for me. I'm glad he was humble, but I don't want that humility. I'm glad that he was forgiving, but I don't think I'm going to go that direction. It's good for him, but I don't think I want it. Now, we may take that attitude, and if Jesus Christ were only a man, you could take that attitude. Your opinion would be just as good as his. But Jesus Christ is not mere man. He is God the Son and has been set as the pattern for you. His attributes are non-optional. And Peter says, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's clearing the direction this way that says, look, the God we worship is his Father. That's who we're worshiping. He has a Son named Jesus Christ. And it clears the direction this way. He's not just a, Jesus Christ is not just a good teacher. He is God. And what he says goes. He's not just a, something we should respect, but something we are to follow exactly. Someone we're supposed to follow exactly. So ask yourself, do you believe that? As you clear off your desk, do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is in very fact the only begotten Son of God? Did your life bear witness to that testimony? Did it say, this is what I believe, I believe that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God? If you ran your attitudes, think of a filter. Think of the filter being Jesus Christ. 
If you ran all of your attitudes, all of your thoughts, all of your actions, all of your motives, all of that through the filter of Jesus Christ, how much would get caught in the filter? Just didn't go through. Not acceptable. Wait a second. I know we get all jumbled up and I know our life gets complicated, but it's not that complicated. You believe that Jesus Christ is God the Son. That means something. You believe that Jesus Christ is God the Son. That means he's the pattern. He's not optional here. We let the mess pile up so much in our lives. The philosophy and desires, attitudes and actions of the world, the flesh, the devil, all these things kind of throw us. and They obscure the truth of what we actually say we believe. There is a God... And he's living. He's eternal. Jesus Christ is his son and our pattern. Number three thing that Peter says in this one statement, Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of God's promise. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of God's promise. Now you have to understand, many of you already know this, but some would not. The name Jesus and Christ in our world go together instantaneously, synonymously. But it's not always been that. In the Garden of Eden, God, when Adam and Eve sinned, God told them, I am going to send someone to deal with your sin. They began calling him the Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah. The Jews specifically were looking for him. Everybody was looking for the one who was going to come. The Jews specifically were looking for the Messiah, the, the Christ. They didn't know who he was, but they knew he was coming and they were looking for him. Eventually the Jews got, mis, got confused in their mind and thought that the Messiah, the Christ, was going to come and restore Israel back to the days of David and Solomon, the glory days of Israel. And that's what they were looking for. They got confused. But Christ was this person who was going to come and deal with the sin. When Jesus was born, that prophecy was fulfilled. That's why we put the two names together. Jesus Christ. He is the Christ. He's the one who is the fulfillment of what everyone was looking for. The promise that God had made in the beginning to Adam and Eve. He's the God's promise to the answer to man's sin's problem. Jesus Christ is the answer. So ask yourself, do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the promise that God made? Is he just some random person that was born 2,000 years ago? Is he just another teacher or a prophet like so many had come and gone? Was he some unique individual who did some amazing things for a few years back in Israel? Or is he literally the fulfillment of God's promise? Is Jesus Christ the fulfillment of the promise of God? Now, we've taken three steps here. Now let's take a kind of a step back and look at what we've got and then take one quick step forward after that. Think of your cluttered workspace you're trying to declutter. The truths that you're trying to pull out of the clutter of all of your thinking to pull those out so that you can hold them clearly before you. 
And those three truths come from what Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. So our three truths are, There is a God and He's eternal. Jesus Christ is His Son. And Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of God's promise. Now don't just give them passive agreement, but lock it in. I believe that. I believe that that there's a God and He's eternal. I believe that Jesus Christ is His Son, and I believe that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the, the promises that God made. Now when you have that locked in, grab those three truths with every fiber of your being. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. There's a God, Christ is His Son, and He is the fulfillment of the promise that God made. You've got your mental desk cleared of all but those three facts. Now let's take one last step here. If Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of God's promise, what was He sent to do? If Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the promise of God, what was he sent to do? Now that may seem like a difficult question, but it's not a difficult question at all. In Luke chapter number 19, it is the old story from Sunday school, Zacchaeus. How many remember learning about Zacchaeus? How many could sing the song? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he? Okay, you got the song in your head. In that story... At the end of the, the story, when Zacchaeus, has, he's already went to his house and so forth, and Zacchaeus has already learned everything he needs to learn, the Lord says one specific thing to Zacchaeus. He says, the Son of Man is come to, to seek and to save that which was lost. So if you want to know, okay, Jesus Christ came to fulfill God's promise. What did he come to do? He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, let's chase this thought very quickly. Were you lost? I won't ask you to do this this morning, but how many, anybody here want to say, when you think about yourself... I'm all that and then some. Boy, if God gets me, he's really going to get a treat. Boy, I am. <laughs> he's really lucky if he gets me into heaven because he's going to be, that's, I'm all that and then some. Anybody want to testify of that this morning? Not, <laughs> not me. Most everybody here is like, oh man, have I blown this thing? I don't know how I got my life so messed up, but I sure did. Most of us wouldn't even look up. If we knew God were looking down, we wouldn't even look up because we would not want to meet eyes with him because we're lost. There is absolutely nothing we could do. There's, we have made a mess and there's no way out. We can't find, there's nothing we could do to, to change, that we're done. And we wouldn't even want to look God in the eye because we are not fit for heaven. Now, if you see yourself as anything but lost, 
If you think yourself as, hey, maybe God's halfway, you know, I'm halfway decent and all that, God can't save you. Why? Because he came to save that which was lost. And until you see yourself as lost, you can't get saved. Because you don't need him at this point in your thinking. No, you do, but you just don't think so. And until you know so, you can't be saved. He wants to save you, and you need to be saved, but until you'll decide, you know what? I'm not all that and then some. In fact, I am only a negative. I, have, I am lost without hope. That is when Jesus Christ, our, our thinking is so contrary. We want to say, try to have something to make God happy. Try to sell ourselves to him somehow, to where he'll want us. My friend, he already wants you. But you have to come to grips with the fact that you're lost. And there's nothing you can do to change that fact. He doesn't want you to. He's going to do it. He's already done it. But you have to come to grips with that fact. If you're still trying to prove yourself to God, prove your worth to him, you're on the wrong page. In order to be saved, you have to be lost. You say, but you don't know what I've done. I'm so bad. I'm so far from what heaven expects. That may all be true, but that's who exactly who Jesus Christ came to save, the lost. Now, in this room, there's only two kind of people who can be helped today. There's two kind of people in this room that can be helped. Those who are, know they're lost at this moment or those who were lost and have already been saved. If you're not in that category, if you're the person who, I don't need that, I, then you can't be helped today. But the people who can be helped is either you realize you, in the past that you were lost, or right now at this moment you realize you are lost. So let's for a moment, let's split these two categories in half and see what the Lord will do for you. Today, if you're lost... Did you know that Christ came to save you? That's what he said. I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. God doesn't expect you to save yourself. He sent his son to do that. The three, the three truths that we have already mentioned are truths that you've got to come to grips with. There is a God. Jesus Christ is his son. And Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of God's promise. The promise that he would send a savior, someone to deal with your sin. Jesus Christ did that. On the cross, he was punished for your sin. He died in your place. He rose from the dead, signifying that your sin was paid for. Now what you need to do, if you're here today and you're lost... You need to recognize the fact that you are lost and you can't make it to heaven on your own, but you don't have to. Jesus Christ has already done everything for you. He has taken your sin. He came to save you. He came to save that which was lost. He came to save you. And today, the help that you can have is you can be saved because that's what he came to do. And he has already accomplished everything that needs to be done. You just need to put your trust in him. Now, the other category is you knew you were lost in the past and now you are saved. But let's, so that'd be the majority of people in here who've already realized, you know, in the past you came to the fact that you were lost and now you know, you've trusted your Christ, you're saved, now you're saved. Now let me, let's talk with you for just a second here. Ask yourself 
this question. How lost were you? Boy, it gets quiet, doesn't it? <laughs> How lost were you? Just a little bit lost? I was almost going to make it? Or were you totally 100% devastatingly lost? Unquestionably, no way for you to ever get saved. There's no way out of the mess you were in. Okay, in order to get saved, you had to come to that. You were totally, completely, devastatingly lost. And Christ came to save the lost, to seek and to save the lost. Now, here's the real question. How much have you let him save you? He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, how much have you allowed him to save you? Have you strictly allowed him to save you from your eternal damnation and stopped it there? How much have you allowed him to save you? The most discouraging part of my life is this. I have lived my life doing the job that I do now which means dealing with people every day. But the most discouraging part of my life is to watch people make this decision. They know how lost they were, and so they come and trust Christ as Savior. And then they decide to run their life themselves. Do you not know how lost you were? Do you not know how lost you are? Do you not know how incapable of running your own life, the way you had it running, you were running straight to hell? You think you're a genius now that Christ has saved you? And the most discouraging part of my life is to watch people who make this decision to trust Christ as their Savior and then try to run their own life. And I'm telling you right now, there's nobody any good at that. And to watch what God, know what God could do with a life and let them, watch them just throw that all away. It's the equivalent of watching someone who knows that they're not saved and not trusting Christ as their Savior. It's the equivalent of that. Someone knows that God can save them in their life but will run their own direction. It's a very discouraging thing. I read in an old book a long time ago, this is a really helpful saying. Four words, Jesus saves me now. If you can get that into your mind, Jesus saves me now. Each one of those words is important. Yes, Christ died for my sins, and I've been on my way to heaven since I was a little kid. But I'm telling you, every single day, he saves me from myself, from the stupidity that I do. And from the bungling that I would do in my life, he takes my life where it needs to go when I let him. He saves me from myself. Jesus saves me now. And if you can get that in your how much have you allowed him to save you? Well, you can save my soul, but don't mess with my life. Is the stupidest thing you could ever say. Jesus saves you now. You ought to live in that salvation every single day. 
because it's based in what you actually believe. There is a God. He has a son named Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the promises that God made. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God.